the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 506, for Monday, June 16th, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Now in our ninth year of answering your questions, sharing your tips, and occasionally sharing cool stuff found. The goal, of course, as it always has been for us all, you, me, John, everyone, to learn at least three new things every time we come together. This episode is sponsored in part by Barebone Software, makers of Yojimbo and BB Edit. And also of Linda, L-Y-N-D-A and L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MGG gets you a seven day free trial to all of their available training videos. Twenty four hundred and counting they've got going up there. So uh, check that out, too. We'll talk to you about more more about those two things during the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in uh, currently air conditioned fearful Connecticut, Connecticut. John F. Braun. How you doing today, John F. Braun? Good. Um, like I mentioned here, uh, you know, it's starting to get a little warm, at least upstairs in my uh, my uh, podcast central here. So, yep. uh, so yeah, had to, uh, had to turn on. This is the second time I've had to turn on the AC, the upstairs AC. Downstairs has not come on yet. We're having a pretty cool time of it here. But uh, had a great Father's Day yesterday. I did the, uh, you know, I host uh, our, our yearly family uh, celebration and did you know uh, what guys are meant to do which is to a uh, grill uh dead meat okay <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough and it was great and you know everybody in the family chipped in with you know appetizers and sure uh, and refreshing beverages and uh, and all that stuff uh, had the in-laws in uh, my sister's brother's uh sister's husband's family so it was great fun sweet what'd you do did you uh did, did you get pampered <laughs> Um, well, actually, uh, we spent the day, well, the Saturday was a crazy day for us. Uh, my daughter had three gigs. She's, uh, she's a drummer too. And, uh, I played at two of them with her, but, um, but it was sort of all, uh, all over the place. And so Dude, Saturday cool. was, yeah, Saturday was nuts. We were gone for 12 hours, but, um, uh, Sunday we were around and until the evening when my son had a lacrosse tournament. So we hung around the house. My son mowed the lawn. Uh, my daughter and I actually cleaned up the uh the studio up here it's nice having another drummer in the house because now she's just as responsible for this room as i am um at least in terms of the half of it or the three quarters of it that is used by the various bands that now rehearse here and it had gotten to be a bit of a pigsty but now it's gorgeous over here it's so much so that uh no band will ever be allowed to rehearse here again it's just we're just gonna leave it as a uh you know perfect little shrine but uh no no it was a good oh, day that's right they practice in there yeah i chuckled yeah, one time i think you tweeted uh what have i done i've locked my daughter in in a soundproof room with uh with three uh three other guys yeah three seventh graders that's right now yeah. actually so. i've seen her i think she could kick all their asses yeah i'm sure she could yeah she yeah yeah well there's a little bit of fear there from all of them which is probably a good thing so all right, uh, we have a bunch of tips to kick off with here, John. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run through them, and we can discuss 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 if we need to, and uh, and then we will go from there. So uh, starting with Steph, 
uh, I believe Steph is male. Uh, if all of my communications with Steph are correct, but, uh, or my interpretations of those, but anyway, if, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Anyway, uh, Steph writes that he was having a problem. None of his finder settings were sticking. He would change something and then uh, it would go back. And he looked and realized that his home folder permissions were wrong. He ran um, either, I think it was Onyx to, to fix his home folder permissions. You could run Yasu as well. And after fixing home folder permissions, his finder permission changes or his finder settings changes stuck. So uh, that's just one of those things to file away in your memory banks that repairing your, and it, and this is very different from just using disk utility to repair your permissions that repairs everything, but your home folder to do your home folder. Uh, the easiest way is to use a third party utility like Onyx or Yasu yet another system utility to do specifically the home folder. And that then allowed uh, Steph to make changes to his finder settings and have them stick. So thanks for sharing that stuff. That's that is good stuff. And that's why Dave, we, yeah, go, you know, I've, I've wondered this. I mean, this has been a problem with OS 10 almost since its inception. And even yep. before then, since it's Unix based, what causes permissions to go bad, to, to go wrong? Where, where did we go wrong with our permissions? Why, why do they get screwed up? Or bad, is it just bad parenting. That's what it is. <laughs> Parent nodes. That's Parent right. Nodes are bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it still just baffles me why this is, it's a, it's a recurring theme and, and it keeps happening. And I don't, I don't know what, you know, does the software installer, the application screw it up or is the file system unstable? I, I it, it just baffles me. It's a, that's a valid question. I don't, um, you know, for home folder permissions, we can change those. Right. And uh, so it's possible that, you know, we start monkeying with things and, and they go bad. I, I, I can't imagine it's like uh, file system corruption that causes permissions to go wonky. Uh, certainly that's possible, but that that's a very edge case. I would say, I, I think it's either, like you said, some application installer changes, some system wide permission. Cause when you grant, when you grant um, administrator rights to an installer, it can do anything. And I would say that most installers are certainly not intentionally nefarious, but there might be some things where uh, things get set wrong or, uh, or you copy a file in and it, you know, inherits permissions from wherever it came from. And, and all of that stuff is sort of unclear. Uh, but certainly, I mean, this repairing permissions has been a thing in OS 10, I believe since the very first beta. So this was something Apple knew was just going to be a problem all the way through. And it, I would say it's true on Unix machines too. You know, from the command line, I, I wind up in scenarios where it's like, Oh yeah, this stupid thing has the wrong permissions. And you got to use the, you know, CH mod or whatever to change them. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a thing. That's for sure. I don't know if it's a good thing, but it's a thing. That's what I got. All right. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, so I will put Yasu in the show notes because that is fun, fun stuff. All right. Uh, Mike found a great article at OS 10 OS X daily about uh, a good way, a safe way to install the OS 10 Yosemite beta on a new partition and then have a dual boot set up where you could run Mavericks 
or Yosemite on the same machine with just one hard drive. So we'll put that link in the show notes too, especially as uh, Apple begins to open up things uh, to the whatever million beta testers that they're going to open it up to. I don't think they've sent out any of those invite emails yet, but um, but yeah, obviously if you're a registered developer, you can get it already, but, but it, it will be coming to the masses uh, before it's ready. So having a dual boot set up, uh, especially to your point from last week, John, it, it, you know, that is a good warning, right? So uh, be, be aware that you are running beta software and, and you should treat it as right. such. Yeah. Uh, uh, on the one hand, I, I would imagine our cup would overflow with, but I'm, I'm going to take a position right now, Dave, if you have a problem with the developer preview, we don't want to hear about mm. it. We definitely want to hear about it. No, I, I serious. Well, I don't want to, I certainly don't want you. <laughs> no, I, 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 we, re, we will redact that. Um, not we, I'm not actually going to edit the audio cause we don't edit. No, we want to hear about this stuff because it is good for us to know, but don't be surprised if our answer is okay. you're, you have an isolated incident, but, but certainly if there's, cause I start running developer previews on, on my production devices, certainly about a month before we expect it to be released on everything. I mean, I'll have it on one machine and, and that goes for iOS sure. as well as uh, OS 10. But um, because we like to be prepared for the release. So with this one, it's actually going to be a little bit different because you folks are going to have it, you know, while it's in this development state. Uh, and I'm already, I think you're already running Yosemite in some capacity, John, I am on my MacBook air. Uh, I, I put it on its own external hard drive. Okay. And, I would strongly recommend that's what that that's how you should do it. Yeah. Don't don't do what I did, which is to install Yosemite <laughs> on the only Mac you have with you when you're 3,200 miles from home. That's right. So, um, but it worked uh, out for but me. No, I'll, I'll, I'll take it back. No, we, we'd like to hear about it. Um, I don't know if we can necessarily solve it because it's a moving target. Right. As, as any developer preview. Is. Right. So, uh, but, but yeah, for informational purposes, you no, know, it we already is. heard, you know, VMware, we already heard, you know, VMware, doesn't work quite right and okay tell people vmware don't expect it to work right <laughs> yep yep all right okay so that's uh that back in show 504 john we talked about uh uh file vault 2 and i made the comment that i wouldn't necessarily be comfortable putting it on a server-based machine or a machine that runs all the time simply because I wind up logging into those from remote sometimes when I'm 3000 miles away from home or from the office and uh, with file vault, when you go to reboot uh, it asks the local user for a password to decrypt the drive. And I said, I would, didn't want to, you know, remote reboot a machine only to have it sitting at that prompt and completely inaccessible from the outside world. Uh, many of you, including Keith wrote in uh, that, uh, that there was a CNET post uh, that Katie Floyd actually wound up uh, linking to Katie from the Mac power users podcast that indicates there is a terminal command pseudo FDE setup auth restart. And we will put that in the show notes too. Uh, that you issue from the machine and it will restart it and pass you right on through that decryption phase. So that's the, uh, that's how we rock that is, is what I'm told. I don't know. It certainly seems right to me. Good. Right, John? Wow. No? I'd never heard of that one. That's I hadn't either. Yeah. And that's, that's why I love what we do here because, uh, Let's see, ah, look at that yep. man 
And so people may be wondering, how can you learn more about this? Well, as with many things, if you go to the terminal and you type man and then space, and I just did man FDE setup and file vault enabling tool. Oh, there's a, we got to dig into this Mm -hmm. because that's not the only option that was just read. There's a number of other things it can do. Awesome. Seriously. All right. That's good. So thank you, Keith. Thank you, everyone. For, and thank you, Katie, for uh, alerting everyone to it with your blog post. That's great stuff. All right. Uh, moving through the tips quickly so we can get to your questions. Not that the tips aren't also key to our life here. But uh, Eric, so this is an interesting thing. I, I'm, I'm going to see if I can explain this quickly. Eric says, uh, I make the uh, main growl theme for my automator apps as Prowl. And then growl notifications will be sent to prowl on my iPhone fail or succeed. So that may not make sense to any of you. Um, Eric has a bunch of automator actions that run at startup on his Mac. And he wants to know if when his Mac starts up, these automator actions have run or not. He also wants to know if his Mac has started up and this is another way. So he uses a piece of software called growl which is a notification manager it was sort of, it was, it was built before OS 10 had notification center in it, but it actually integrates with notification center. It also integrates with other notification services and prowl P R O W L is an iPhone or iOS notification tie in for growl. So you can have an app run. It tells growl. I ran and succeeded or failed. And then uh, growl can send that notification out. However you like, it can send an email. It can, uh, display a little dialogue on your Mac and it can use this thing called prowl and send to your iPhone. So with those two things together, he's able to know that his automator actions, uh, ran on startup or didn't. And so that's, that's pretty cool stuff. If that makes sense. So hopefully that makes sense, John, right? And growl is, I think is at growl.info if I am not mistaken. And I am not. Do you use prowl, John? I see. I don't use prowl. I use boxcar, uh, but it, but it, and it links together in the same way. So no, I don't use prowl, but I still use growl. Okay. Pointed out it. Some may say it's kind of redundant with notification center. I, I've been using it and I continue to use it because, uh, you know, I like to selectively learn when certain things happen. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome program and its companion, um, hardware growler, which right. is indispensable for, uh, for, for telling what's happening on your Mac, especially network and disk mounting and unmounting events is uh, where I find it most useful. Yeah, I, I, I should, I should mess with hardware growler more because you're right. You, you occasionally will say, oh yeah, I noticed that, uh, a disk you know, was unmounting and remounting things we would never notice if it was happening in the background. We were, while we were say typing in an app or podcasting or whatever, but that can be indicative of another problem. And that's actually kind of handy. It might be indicative of a network problem or, you know, if it's a network drive or whatever. So that like some things that I've seen. So, so two, two places where I find it very useful. One is uh, things like Google that does this secret background uh, software update thing. It will show you, when this uh, disc is being mounted. Otherwise you would have no clue that it's happening. Right. Uh, the other is that it'll show when my MacBook pro does a network handoff, it'll show me when I switch between my, my different base stations, it'll be like, Oh, you're on the downstairs one. Oh, you're on the upstairs one. Uh-huh. Where normally you're not going to see that handoff. Uh, you know, 
you may not care, but I care. I, I like to know wh- which one it's connecting to because I, I still have the extension set up here. Right. Right. No, that's that's super handy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, very interesting thing. There was a post on our Google Plus community from Andy where he was saying he just picked up a uh, an, an iPod classic, which is the old uh, style that you can buy them new, but old style hard drive, spindle hard drive based iPod. Now um, you can get, well, this is really interesting. He says, uh, since the iPod classics days are looking like they might be numbered, I went out and bought one yesterday. I've always wanted one, but kept putting it off. So I got it home and waited and waited for my 7,000 tracks to sync over the slow USB two connection and then plugged in my ATH M50 headphones. All I can say is, wow, audio quality is so much better than any iPhone touch by a huge margin. The iPod classic really makes the difference. I can see it will be my go-to device when driving, my, uh, driving my better headphones around the house. So far I have uh, the ATH M fifties and a pair of Grado SR 60 eyes, five stars for sound quality for sure. And there was a question, actually it was Allison Sheridan from uh Nozilla cast that asked the question, why in the world would this be the case? Uh, is it encoding differently to send to that device or, you know, something else? And Stephen Getz pointed out that audio quality is better with the iPod Classic because they use a much better digital to analog converter and better headphone amplifier than the iPod Touch or iPhones do. And I really found that interesting. I never thought about that. I still leave a classic in my car. It's the easiest way to have all my songs with me in the car. I actually do need to crunch them down um, to, uh, I think I go to 192 now because I have too many songs to fit on 160 gig at 256 KAC. So maybe I'm, I'm splitting the difference and now it doesn't matter uh, in terms of that audio quality. So maybe I need to rethink that. But I had no idea that there was a better DAC and a headphone amp in there. So I wanted to share that with everyone because I, I found that really interesting. Oh, yeah. Neat. Yeah, yeah, that actually would have been my first guess because that's, a, the, I mean, the, the way it's stored digitally is the same. It's identical no matter what type of drive it is, whether it's flash or uh, mechanical. So yeah, that's pretty much, yeah. it's all analog. comes back all analog, man. Right. Well, that's our ears about. are analog <laughs> devices, right? That will never yeah. change. Yeah, well, it could. I doubt it. Well, come on, the bionic man. Right. Yeah, you may at some point get a, a, a you may some point get a digital analog converter for your ears, <laughs> going the other direction. Yeah, A to D as opposed to D to A. Yeah, huh. no, you're correct. So, uh, so yeah, the, the the yeah, I guess the, the different DACs uh, reproduce the the analog more or less faithfully, and I guess this one is more faithful or more it, accurate. I yeah, guess. you know, it's worth actually while we're on that subject, um, a company that that. Uh, longtime Mac Geek Gab listeners will remember as a sponsor years ago, uh, Audio Engine actually uh, sells a killer DAC for the Mac. They they sell it's the Audio Engine D1, and it is it's 169 bucks, which is certainly not cheap, but it's also not very expensive, and it makes a huge difference uh, using that DAC on the. Um, uh, uh, on your Mac, if you're if you're playing through decent speakers versus the onboard stuff, there's two reasons. A, it's simply a better digital to audio converter, as as you know we were kind of talking about in, in the conversation about iPods here. But also, it's separate from your Mac. It's it's a USB thing, right? So it sends digitally out to the device, and now you're running your DAC 
outside of the board where you might have a spinning hard drive running on the power supply and other things that are going to, you know, mechanical things that, that do uh, interfere with the sound. So, uh, so for both reasons, I think it, I think the big reason it's, it's just a much better deck, but, um, but uh, we'll, we'll put a link to the, the D one because it, it really truly does make a difference. And uh, for those of you that care even a little bit, it can, uh, it can be the, the thing. So audio engine D one it's in the show notes. We're ready to roll. You know, uh, I want to, before we go to the last tip, which I think we're actually going to spend a little bit of time on. Uh, I want to uh, talk about our first sponsor, which is Linda at L Y N D a dot com slash M G G. And that slash MGG is important because it gets you seven days of free access to everything that Linda offers. And what Linda offers is they've got totally professionally produced videos, instructional videos. It, it's like, it's like you walked into, I don't even, I, mean, I don't even know what the analog would be. I was going to say, it was like you walked into a university and just had access to everything all at once sitting in your chair and just downloaded but my guess is you could get more information from this certainly more practical information they have all kinds of courses john um if you want to learn how to program certainly want to learn how to use quickbooks online great you're good to go uh they have some uh, design courses and the thing is these courses are taught by people that know what they're doing they're engaging uh bert monroy has a, a a design course that he calls pixel playground or linda calls pixel playground and these things, they're all every course and some courses are 20 minutes. Some courses are two hours. Some courses are even longer than that. Um, they're all totally professionally produced. And the way it works is everything's broken up into chapters. So even if you have like a, a three hour course, if you've only got five minutes, you can go and just watch five minutes of it. And, uh, and everything is, is all right there. They've got materials that you can like work along with. Sometimes you see the instructor talking, if that makes sense for that segment. Sometimes if it's say, a, you know, a computer thing where you're actually being trained, you will see the instructor's screen while they're walking through stuff. And then sometimes it cuts back and forth again, really, really well done. Uh, they've got some, uh, some photography, actually some, they've got a ton of photography courses. So you want to learn just how to take pictures. Great. You want to learn how to use, you know, Lightroom to organize your photos. Great. They've got, I, I, I see in the little note that they sent me here, at least three Lightroom courses. And my guess is they have more organizing your photos, optimizing your photos and the basics of image sharing. Right. And, and there's more and more. So it, it's, um, it's really quite amazing. They've got uh, pro video tips. So if you, if you want to go move from still pictures to moving pictures, they've got all that stuff there too. It really, it's, it's quite something, John, and, and you can watch these videos on your Mac, of course, but you can also watch them on your iPad uh, or your iPhone, which is really cool if you're doing a, a video where, say, you're learning about something on your Mac, uh, you can stream the video from your iPhone and sort of play along on your Mac, and you can even have it stop at the end of it. You can, there's just a little quick little preference and you can tell it continue when you get to the end of a chapter or stop. So you can have it get to the end of a chapter, auto stop. Now you can play once you've kind of gotten that out of your system and, and worked through it and internalized a little bit of it. You press play on the next chapter 
And off you go. Again, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G is where you go to get seven days for free. And that's free the whole site. It's not, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, for example, there were three Lightroom courses. It's not like you can only watch one of them. You can watch all three of them. You can watch all three of them all day long on repeat if you want. You get seven days. So if you don't want to sleep and you just want to learn uh, I'm not sure if not sleeping is going to help you learn or not, but maybe it does. Some of us do better on, on less sleep. I don't know. Some of us do. So, uh, so check it out. L Y N D a dot com slash M G G. And uh, I think you're going to love it as much as I do. And then once you're, once you're hooked, which you're going to get hooked because it's so cool to learn stuff, especially if you're listening to this show, you, you, you like to learn it's 25 bucks a month. And that keeps that unlimited access. Just, Good to go. So check it out. Lynda.com slash M G G. And, uh, and I think you're going to like what you find there and let them know. All right, John, Mike has, well, Mike has an interesting thing. He says, uh, he, he was having an issue where his music library, he only had like, I don't know, 11 gigs of songs or something, which is not small, but certainly not massive he said but his uh his music folder in itunes was taking up over 75 gigs and he couldn't figure it out and so he dug in and he looked inside his home folder uh inside music inside his itunes media folder and saw that in the podcast folder it was taking up 60 gigabytes of data and so he went into iTunes and he deleted his podcast and boom, he got his 60 gigs back and iTunes uh, can keep podcasts for a long time where you can have it auto delete. So just wanted to share that if you haven't paid attention to iTunes and the way that it manages your podcast lately, you might want to take a look at that because that may uh, be an easy way to reclaim a bunch of space from your hard drive. It's actually also worth mentioning that the iTunes app uh, sorry, the podcast app on iOS and the corresponding podcast features inside iTunes have actually gotten really usable. You know, I know we were talking about Downcast and Instacast as really the only iOS options in a, in a not uh, in a very recent show. Turns out that new update to the podcast app, Apple's podcast app, I'm saying, is awesome. And I have switched all my podcasts listening to it, it, it because it syncs with all my devices and the syncing now works. It's not that fluky thing that was happening before. And you can manage stuff really easily. They've totally worked on the UI. I'm really, really happy with it. So uh, I know you don't listen to podcasts on any regular basis. Is that right, John? Um, not on a regular basis, hmm. but, but I do have, I do have some. And yeah, yeah, I've noticed it got better as far as, um, I think one of the most recent updates it would actually come up and say, "Hey, by the way, you know, I can scrub these, um, you know, once once you're done with them." And it's like it it didn't. I don't recall iTunes ever offering to do that before. So yeah, it's it's getting better. It's a lot better. I'm really, I, I was really blown away. You know, I I had kind of moved all my stuff into Downcast. I just liked that UI better than Instacast. And so when I went back to try iTunes, it was like, oh yeah, this is everything I want. You can have default settings system wide. Uh, but you can also change the settings. So if there's one show that say like a daily show or something uh, and you, you, you want to keep more than, you know, two episodes, like you might keep of your weekly show, whatever it is, you can totally get in there granularly and, 
and uh, and specify stuff. So I like I said, I moved to it with no regrets, which is really bizarre for me. I, I, I'm still sort of freaked out that it just works as well as it does. And it has yet to burn me. I have not removed downcast from my phone. Now, listen, you know, I still let I, I have plenty of available space on my iPhone. So uh, I let downcast you know, stay subscribed to all my shows and yeah, I'm throwing off people's stats cause I'm subscribed in three places, but I'm okay with that because it means that when I need a podcast, I've got it, but I have yet to not use the Apple podcast app. So for whatever that's worth, I throw it out there. John, speaking of disc space, disc space usage, um, in a general, we talked about, this one thing from this tip from Mike, but in a general sense, I think Mark had a question that might lead us down a different path. I think Mark does. And so Mark writes, uh, first he writes that he's been listening to us since episode 50, which, uh, you know, we should, I, a, we should give him a gold star for that. I, I, I sort of alluded to this uh, earlier, but I, I should state uh, out loud. Hey, happy birthday, John. We, we celebrated on Friday. So today's Monday, the 15th, or Monday, the, sorry, Monday the 16th. Yesterday was Sunday the 15th. Uh, but on Friday the 13th of 2014, <laughs> uh, uh, the month of June, we uh, passed our ninth year uh, uh, podcasting as Mac Geek Birthday Gap. or anniversary? I don't know, whatever it is. It's fine. It's all good. So I mean, We didn't get married, really. So, yeah, I guess it's a birthday. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sometimes it feels or like we did. We? I know. Yeah. No, it's it's so nine years, and and we have uh, there are many listeners out there who have been with us, you know, pretty much since day one. But but even if you haven't, uh, it you know it's a pretty big milestone for all of us to celebrate together. So Alex, actually, listener Alex put up a great or sent us a great uh, image that uh, that really kind of encapsulates the whole. Just for show five oh six, it was a kind of a celebratory image. So we'll put it up on the web. And in, uh, in the thing, and I'll also bake it in as the MP3 image uh, for this particular show. So, Sweet. Yeah, and Michael Johnston, who has been with us almost since the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. I will give a, a tip to you, Michael. That is in our Mac Geek Gab folder, so you can bake that into the uh, the enhanced AAC as well. So, all right, John. Uh, so there you go. Happy birthday, uh, and and yeah. thanks. Okay, good. Now moving on. So to continue. Um, Mark continues and says, my mid 2011 iMac was showing very high disk usage via iStat menus. Good, good eye. Um, so I bought Daisy disk to take a look. Then I bought the non app store version when I realized that hidden files were not shown or detailed in the app store version. Well, it didn't matter. Neither could tell me exactly what this 260 gigabyte file was. I want to pause right there because what Mark is seeing is 260 gigabytes of space that cannot be explained. I'm not going to come to the conclusion, Dave, that that is a single file. He is. I disagree. I'm, I'm just going to say that now. It certainly could be, but I don't, I don't think it is. Um, yeah, Daisy disk is weird the way it displays that because it says Macintosh hard drive slash parentheses hidden space 260 gigs. Right. Yeah. As are other things, which we'll learn about in a moment here. Sure. Because we want to teach you these things. So then he said he looked at his super duper sparse image bundle, which excludes his Dropbox and Transporter, and it weighs in at 239 gigabytes. Um, he wrote the super duper and they said, 
not my problem, man. <laughs> it's not <laughs> our fault. And and I trust that they are faithfully, you know, creating a backup. Sure. Know, the, including this 260 gigabytes of mysterious data. I won't call it a file again. Data. Well, no, they're not data. including that 260, right? Because if it's a 239 file, then that doesn't have that oh, 260 no, gigs of right, data. You're right. Yeah. Um, all right. And then to continue. All right. So he said the Mac got a new logic port, networking stuff. I don't think that's really important. Um, uh, then he also says that the thing uses RAM poorly and he gets to the point of two gigabytes free. I, I, I don't think that's the, the important either. Okay. But now he does say, I want to entertain a nuke and pave with an SSD, but I'm fearful that this will simply happen all over again. Any ideas? Now, what he also did is sent us some screenshots. Yep. And one of the screenshots, Dave, is the one where if you do, uh, you know, you go to uh, about this Mac. In Mavericks, more, right? Yep. Uh, well, even in... in uh, oh, Mountain Lion did this too. That's right. Yep. Yeah, because I'm running Mountain Lion here. So, um, you know, you click on about this Mac, then you'll see a button, more info. Click on that, and then you will see a number of uh, categories on the top there. Well, you can click on storage. And for each of your drives, it's going to show... Um, in my case, I have a one terabyte SATA disk in here. Uh, and it'll show you various categories. And what does it show? Well, it shows that he has 311 gigabytes of other. Hmm. You know, it sounds to me like his big wampin, um 200 mysterious uh, uh, files or file is included in that other category. So that was the direction that I decided to take, Dave. And wouldn't you know it, Apple has an article about this. OS ten. what is other space in about this Mac? And I think this will offer us a clue as to what this could be. I'm hoping. And you're ready to paste that. Yeah, yeah you're, you're pretty good. I'm <laughs> pretty good. Paste I pasted room. it into the chat room. We'll say hi to yes. everybody at macgeekab.com slash stream. Thanks for joining us today. And I think this is going to point us towards what this could be. Now I took a guess and, and, and I don't think it was correct, but there are many other choices here. But to me, the important part of what this is saying, uh, the basically article says sometimes the other category may seem large about this Mac uses this category to count any files that are not recognized as one of the other listed file types, which you'll also see audio movies, photos, apps. Um, now examples of files that may be included in other includes Items in the OS X folders, such as system folders and caches, and that was my initial guess. Uh, another is personal info, such as documents, contacts, and calendar data, app plugins or extensions, media files that cannot be classified by Spotlight as a media file because they are located inside of a package, um, or file types not recognized by Spotlight. So I, I would actually, um, I'm curious as to why you think it might not be your initial guess of a system folder or cache. My, my guess is that it is. And I'll tell you why, because we saw, because uh, well, I suggested uh, that he run a utility that would clear some of that out and it didn't seem to fix it. So that's why. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I said, run Onyx. There's a, a category that will clean out numerous caches. And he sure. got back to me and saying, I ran this and it didn't make any difference. So that's, it still could be something buried. No, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Well, so here's why I'm saying this, though, because Go. he's got, you know, uh, his his drive has uh, he's using 450 gigs almost uh, of his 500 gig drive 
311 are being reported as this other category. 260 of that uh, by Daisy Disc as hidden space that can't be touched. Uh, but the fact that his super duper clone only weighs in at 240 gigs tells me that super duper is ignoring whatever the, a big chunk of at least whatever this other data is. Other isn't bad. I mean, on this machine here, I have 87 gigs of other. I'm guessing a lot of that is our Mac geek Gab production files and things that don't get squarely categorized into one of the categories John mentioned, but, um, but the super duper will back those up on his machine. Super duper's not. And I know that super duper will clone everything except caches, log files, temp files, and virtual memory swap files, right? So using that as a hint, uh, you know, as long as super duper isn't grossly malfunctioning, and I'm, I'm going to assume in this case that it is not, that there is some, what I'm going to call a temp file. Now, you know, that, that's sort of a broad umbrella definition for the, for this conversation, but some kind of temp file. So I would take a look at, um, and you can do this from the finder. If you look in uh, the directory, uh, if you go in the, in the finder, you have to get there, go, um, go to folder and then type in slash. Uh, and that this being the slash right next to the shift key underneath the question mark, a normal slash uh, private slash var slash VM and see how many swap files you have out there. Cause that's one thing super duper won't back up. Now, if you have a bunch of these, you can't just delete them from here. Um, you may need to run. I think, I think Onyx will clean up swap files uh, in its own way. So that would, that would be one thing to test, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Looking at log files in, I believe those, you know, I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't because I always wind up searching, but I think it's var log, right? Uh, yeah. If you look in var log, take a look in there and see if there's some app dropping a log file, right? That, that would be my, you know, I had a Skype log file that was like four gigs at one point. I have no idea. So, and maybe, you know, I know Daisy disc didn't show you the right thing. Try Omni disc sweeper. It's a, it does the same thing as Daisy disc in a different way. It might be able to point you down the right path. So okay. that's my thoughts. So no, I'm with you. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement that it's a system. It's somewhere in, in the system, but based on what, what was, what was, it's not a cache it, or it's not it's a cache that else. Onyx cleans. Correct. Right. right. So uh, now the other suggestion I had, so he's noticing um, a lot of activity, you know, like uh, 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 <clears throat> disk activity. Yep. Well, Dave, there's a swell program that'll show you uh, disk, you, uh, disk activity. And that was the other thing I suggested as well. You know, if you're seeing the activity here now, if, uh, iStat menu, you know, it'll show, bandwidth you know or it'll show the read and write rates but yeah. it won't give you much more detail well there's something that will dave and that's called fs eventer oh that's right oh yeah 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 now it could be as you're suggesting it could be a program that has a memory leak and so it's it's just gobbling up you know uh, massive amounts it, it's out of control and it's creating all these swap files so it, it could certainly be that and as far as i know fs eventer will show you something like that or may show you something else but if you've seen all that activity, that, that will let you drill down and see where the files are being written or what's being written. And, and I think, uh, I, I hope that'll do it. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. It's the best we can do. Yeah, I, I do want to uh, point out that uh, Daisy Disk or Omni Disk Sweeper, 
are great utilities to use. Uh, I probably of all the uh, sort of what I'll call maintenance utilities that are out there. That's the one I, I use Omni Disk Sweeper. But if you like the UI of Daisy Disk, there's no reason not to use it. It's just they, they do the same thing. Um, that is the one I run most frequently because invariably I wind up having stuff. It might just be downloads, right? You know, I download something and then I forget about it and it happened to be a, you know, gig and a half worth of a disk image. We've all got these, well, not all, most of us have these, I have these super fast internet connections now. So to download a gigabyte really isn't a big deal to store a gigabyte on your drive. Isn't a big deal until you do it 25 times. And then, Oh, Holy cow. You know, my drive is being chewed up by stuff. I don't care about. Right. So, it, it's worth running those. I probably, I would love to run Omni Disk Creeper once a month. I probably want run it once every two months is when I think of it. It's like, oh yeah. And I want to run it right now, but if I did, it would turn John into like devil mode because it would just shoot because it, you know, pounds on your drive as it's sizing everything. But, uh, so I, I'm not going to do it while we're doing the podcast, but I, I want to, because I, because I always feel it's like that instant gratification. It's like mowing your lawn. You know, you run Omni Disk Sweeper. And you find stuff in immediately and you delete it. And then you've got all this space. It's like, oh yeah, instant gratification. It's awesome. So, you know, that's my, uh, it's not, is it like mowing the lawn? What am I talking about here, John? Not for me, man. Okay. I'm having problems with my uh, lawnmower. Oh, that's not good. I thought I solved them, but they came back again. Yeah. Car- yeah lawnmower carburetors are like I, that. I fired it up. It, it ran for a good 15 minutes, which is about what it takes for me to do my lawn. And then the next time I tried it, it died after five minutes. Mm. Oh, man. That's not good. Nah, I, the first time I did it, I put some carb. Clean. I, I think it just maybe the, the carb. I think the carb needs some more cleaning. All right. So Larry, uh, in, a, in, in a similar vein, Larry writes, I'm getting lots of low disc warnings. So I'm just going through and cherry picking stuff that I really don't need on my hard drive. I noticed thanks to the wonderful program, what size. So, okay, there's another one that's just like uh, Daisy disc and uh, Omni disc sweeper. And again, it's, it's just whatever, whatever you like to use. That's at what size Mac.com. Uh, he says, thanks to the program. What size I have an unusually large music folder that surprises me because I know that a long time ago I moved my iTunes folder to an external drive so that I would have enough room for my gigantic library. For some reason, even though I point iTunes to this external folder, the mobile applications seem to be a squatter and refuses to leave the now empty, uh, now otherwise empty hard drive music folder. Actually, although the iTunes folder seems to have uh, on the external drive is just a bunch of artist folders. What did I do wrong and how can I liberate this now bloated and 35 gigs from my hard drive? That is the mobile applications folder. Okay, so um, I'm going to rewind a second and tell you all a trick. It's not uncommon for us all to fill up our drives with these mobile applications folders. And a lot of times we'll be filling them up with apps that we don't even use anymore, right? How often have you downloaded, especially some free app and you're like, Oh yeah, I don't need that. So you delete it from your phone, but you leave it in iTunes. You don't need to leave it in iTunes. Now, uh, if it's some app that's important to you, maybe you want to keep a backup of it because who knows what circumstance might lead to either the developer or Apple removing it from the app store. But in a general sense, you don't have to keep them in iTunes. You can delete them from iTunes and only download the ones that you use. And you can re-download anything from the store, uh, any app from the store that you have purchased. 
as long as it's still in the store. And I, I want to offer that caveat, but uh, like on my daughter's machine, she has uh, at the moment anyway, 128 gig SSD in there. So space is tight for her. And we did about the same thing. She had, you know, 20 or 30 gigs in her mobile apps folder. And so it was like, Oh, we'll just blow it away. It's totally fine. She doesn't need that. It's no problem. We just don't sync apps with the, with the phone or with the computer. It's not necessary anymore. So that's, that's one thing. As far as why it's not storing them on your external drive, that's a little weird. It should be. Uh, the, the trick there would be to make sure that you have the uh, keep iTunes music folder organized and uh, in preferences. And also, of course, make sure that iTunes is actually pointing to this other drive. Um, and if that doesn't work, then let us know. But, uh, but you know, don't be afraid to just delete them. You don't need them unless you think you do, unless you know that you do. Right? Good. Yes, John? Any thoughts on that? No. No. Anything? Anything? Oh, I always got something. <laughs> Sometimes when I, th- when I throw it to you like that, I, I need like, 10 seconds at least ah, right so that i can you, take you a you sip of to, tea you, you or something vamp that's I the see. idea that's right well maybe we should type that on the back channel like john I, could you please babble intelligently um <laughs> when i say anything i rarely want a one word answer from you that's that's really what i'm saying i think but it's all right i've had my tea oh, in I, that case I, let me tell you a story dave so <laughs> what, <laughs> see now you've opened pandora's i know bronze box bronze <laughs> Whatever you want, I want to call it. All right. No, uh, I, the, uh, to your question, uh, yeah, I, I typically uh, every now and then I'll, I'll sweep through my apps and uh, and whack them. Cause, yeah, they do take up space. They just take I mean, up there space. Are some and there are some. Yeah, and always, uh, yeah, like you know, it, it'll come up and say, you know, you want to you want to delete this app, and I'm like, yes, I really do. Yeah, it, it's a it's good practice because uh, you know app creep. Even though I don't do well, I, I'm doing more apps now that I have more capable devices. They're both uh, last I checked, 32 gig devices. Um, right. Yeah, I've uh, yeah I've installed more apps than I did in the past on my relatively constrained. Uh, see, now you're sorry you asked me. No, this is good. <laughs> it's good. But no, you're right. Um, yeah, I, I'll I'll go through every couple of weeks um, and review, especially. Because I do run this one program, Dave. Um, actually, I'm, I like it because it warns you about this. So it's a uh, what's it called here? I run it on both machines here. It's called a is it battery monitor or what's it, what's it called on battery? It's just called battery, but it monitors battery, but it also monitors things like a, you know available space and stuff like that. And every now and then it'll come up and say, hey, you know, you're kind of running low on, on available space. And to me, that's a signal. I should probably review what apps I have and do I really need them all? In a lot of cases, I don't. So I go to iTunes and whack them, and then uh, that helps out. Yeah. yeah they, I still think they don't manage. I think they're erring on the side of caution here. Unless you, you totally you know, want to remove something from all of your devices, that they'll, they'll let it stick around. And that, that's. Yeah, absolutely. I, gotta, I, it, it's, I, I use that exact same app, John. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it shows up, and it's called battery on your screen, but it's not actually called battery in the store. For battery status? <sighs> battery Doctor by KS battery Mobile. Doctor. That's it. Um, yeah, kind of reminds you, but it also tells you about other things. Yeah, you know, it'll purge uh, or it'll free up RAM uh, and do some other uh, neat things. It'll tell you about new apps. It does a whole bunch of things, but so far, you know, I kind of like it. I yeah, I like it too. It clears up uh, temp files 
from apps, right? So like if you, if you, uh, sync something down in, in like uh, Goodreader or Dropbox or whatever, and you, and you sync it to your device locally. And then, and then you unsync it. Like you tell it, I don't need that anymore. It marks it as free, but it doesn't always wipe it out right away. And this will go through and kind of force the apps to, to clean themselves up. I'm not sure exactly how it does that, uh, but it, it, it seems to work. So uh, I will put that in the show notes too, because it's good stuff. All right. Uh, we have a question from another Larry, John, and it is two different Larrys. But first, I want to make sure we talk about our second sponsor, which is Barebones Software at barebones.com. And, uh, you know, the folks at Barebones, they've been around longer than we have. They've celebrated far more than nine birthdays. I think they've celebrated like 25 birthdays or something, right? I mean, it's crazy. Uh, how long, how many birthdays have they celebrated? They have celebrated 20, I believe 22, at least 21, if not 22 birthdays. They they were formed in 1992. So put that in your hopper and smoke it. Uh, <laughs> and, and th- you know, a, a, it, it's still run by, by the, the same guy that started it, Rich Siegel. Obviously he's built a, a, a great team over there and, uh, and they make some great apps, but you know, they, they keep iterating on the good stuff that they do. So BB edit, uh, which has been around forever is still one of their best selling apps and understandably. So BB edit is a, at its core, a text editor. And it, it's really a, you know, it's the ultimate dog food app, right? And by dog food, I mean uh, the app that the programmer uses for themselves. It It is an app for programmers to use, to write programs. And I'm pretty sure BB edit is, is written largely inside of BB edit, which is good. So if you're a programmer and you haven't messed around with BB edit and tried it yet, you're really truly missing out. And when I say a programmer, certainly if you're writing an objective C and you're, you're doing uh, you know, OS 10 or uh, iOS apps, that's great. But remember they've been around 22 years. And while objective C has been around that long, it has not been the language of choice for the Mac. Uh, there were all kinds of other languages that you would write in and still can write in. And that's the beauty of BB edit is it recognizes all of them. Uh, you start coding and as soon as you either save your file or do something inside your file that really indicates uh, that, that, okay, I'm using this language and that's, that's a pretty sure bet. BB edit kind of takes over, not in a, not in a bad way. Uh, and it doesn't change your file, but it changes the way you see your code. It adds little twist down triangles to functions, right? So that when you've got, uh, you know, something that's related it, you can open it or close it and clean up the way you're looking at your code. Again, it doesn't change your code on disk, it, but it does change the way you see it. It makes it a lot cleaner. Also adds some uh, highlight colors so that you see where different functions begin and end. And again, this isn't just for coding software. It's for coding web pages. HTML is perfectly recognized. JavaScript is perfectly recognized as is Java. Um, if you want to go you know, more advanced JavaScript and Java kind of used for different purposes. If you're just editing CSS and even changing colors uh, on your website and in, inside your, your style sheet, BB edit recognizes that. But even if you're not going to do any coding, it's super useful. It can count the number easily right on the screen, right in front of you counts the number of characters, counts the number of lines, counts the number of words in a document. It can sort text. And one of my absolute favorite features is that you can take two files, two text files and compare them line by line, it will do it automatically. And then it gives you a summary 
and it's a live summary. So if it, it might say, okay, on line 47, uh, something was changed and you click on where it says line 47, something was changed. It brings both documents to line 47, evens them up and shows you highlights what text is different in one versus the other. Super, super handy. In fact, you can even, there's even a little button that says, if you want to copy, you know, this one change from this one document to the other, you can just hit a button and it will do that for that one line. So it's really cool. Uh, worth checking out at barebones.com. Make sure you tell them we sent you and uh, they're good folks over there. So check it all out. Barebones.com. Barebones software. All right, John. Moving on to uh, Larry number two. Larry has the question. He says, although I've heard you talk about the transporter and the idea of a personal or private cloud on the show several times, it wasn't until episode 505 that it finally got through my thick skull. That this might be a good alternative to Google Drive and the 120 bucks a year I'm paying for one terabyte of storage. However, you have drilled it into that same thick skull that backups are the root of all goodness. And so I'm currently backing up my hard drive to two local drives, one via carbon copy cloner, the other via time machine and a time time capsule at my house and then backblaze for cloud backup. I currently use Google Drive as a place to store 200 gigs of archives and documents used in my work, as well as, as well as 35 gigs worth of current projects, which are in a Google Drive folder that sync to a folder on my hard drive. But as I think about these work archives and the way Time Machine deletes old backups when disks fill up, will I be sorry if my archives live on a consumer-grade, transporter-connected hard drive with no redundancy instead of on what I imagine to be a secure, redundant mega-server farm with Google? Perhaps this is as simple as making it sure that the transporter-connected drive itself gets backed up to a cloud service, but now we're back to spending 120 bucks every year, and then what's the benefit of having a personal cloud? My final question... Did any of the above make sense? Absolutely, Larry. It's great. It, this is a good discussion. In fact, it's, it, it, you, you've encapsulated the problem perfectly. So I have a couple of answers. And then, John, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Uh, so, yes, you can back up to Transporter or any personal cloud. You know, the Synology, QNAP, they, they all have them. Uh, Transporter is, is certainly the easiest. Um, uh, it doesn't come with any redundancy, but. You know, it is what it is. So you can back up to any of these uh, and pay. Uh, you can take your transporter and back it up to a cloud service like Backblaze. Uh, although Backblaze gets difficult to back it up to because they don't really support external drives without some hacking. Crash plan, definitely. Right. But then, like you said, you're paying for that. The benefits of personal cloud in that scenario uh, are the privacy, right? Because your data is stored locally. And if you're using crash plan and using your own key, even though your encrypted data is stored at crash plan, uh, they have no way of decrypting it without your key, which you never have shared with them. Uh, so, so there's that you also get local access to all your files. So if you have six Macs syncing one folder, uh, you know, they're not syncing to and from Dropbox all the time. Although Dropbox tries to do some local syncing too, and is actually pretty good about that. Um, so there's that, uh, Dropbox for the record does encrypt your data, with their key. So if they are forced, they can and will decrypt. Well, I don't want to say will. They can decrypt their da your data. I don't know if anyone has had their data decrypted by Dropbox you know, via subpoena yet, but it could happen. The second answer is just buy a second transporter and put it off site. Sync all the same folders with it. And now you've created your own off site backup. 
that happens automatically. And yes, you had to spend money once for a transporter, but now you're done. So, or, or twice, once for the original and then again for the second one. And there's your backup. There's your offsite. And uh, that's what I got. What do you got, John? Mutton. We've talked about this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, my thoughts are as follows. So, one, when you're talking about backing up your documents here, I would say first, get your act together and try to have some structure as to how you do this. I just want to say this because I've seen more than one system, typically more on Windows than the Mac, but even on the Mac sometimes, like even my, uh, my parents, and I, and I have to uh, remind them what I think is good practice, but if you have documents, put them in your documents folder. Don't scatter them on your desktop because some programs may not like that or they may not realize the relevance of this stuff. So, the, so that's the one suggestion I have. The, number, the other one, so my personal approach here, Dave, is to have not one, not two, but probably three ways of backing up anything that's important to you. And so, for example, my documents folder, which I keep all my important documents in, I have synced using three methods. Did I mention that? At least three. I think is good. Well, more than one. Have more than one. So one, of course, is um, Time Machine. So on both my machines, they go to Time Machine on my Synology. Uh, the second is that uh, I use uh, something called BitCasa, which is a uh, cloud-based uh, synchronization service. So that's number two. And then the third one, which I recently engaged, Dave, not married, but engaged or activated, is um, using one of the special features, uh, which um, I had been nervous to implement. But now that I do it, I'm very happy that I did because it's actually uh, changed my Mackie workflow, and that's using the transporter's ability to sync what uh, they refer to, I believe, as uh, special folders. Let's see. Let me look, look at their preferences again. Yeah, they call them special folders. So there's the ability on each of the machines that has the transporter software installed. You can back up the desktop documents. Did I mention documents? You did. <laughs> and uh, so that's why I encourage people, you know, get your act together and keep your documents uh, where they should be, which in my humble opinion is your documents folder. But it can also do pictures, movies and music. But OK, so getting back to Larry's question, though, what do you do to protect if you're using your your private cloud is say your you know, your own personal Dropbox. Right. You know, how what do you do to back up the data that's stored there? Right. How are you backing up? The, the private cloud server as it, as it stands, right? what do you do to back up your transporter? What I'm do not. you, you're not. Okay. No, what I'm doing is, is what I described to you is I'm taking the data that I'm putting on my personal cloud and backing it up using other methods. Okay. Uh, from, I, I understand from your question. Mac. Yeah, no, I get you. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, under, I understand the question. Um, you're kind of doing it in reverse. Yes. I'm taking a Ish. different approach. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes right, sense. So no, I don't back up what's on the transporter drive because I know that it's put elsewhere or, or that I'm backing it up to other services, which uh, may not necessarily have. Well, I trust that my time machine backup is as if not more secure. Okay. So you don't, transporter. you don't store anything. I mean, I know you don't have just a transporter. You get the transporter and a Synology unit and, yeah. per, and perhaps some other things. Dropbox, BitCasa, well, yeah, but no, uh, no, no, I'm Drive. No, 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 I'm talking about hardware cloud. at your house, okay. right? Yes. So, and not not just cloud, but because cloud, I mean, maybe you'd call this stuff cloud, but some things, I store data 
like a, a truckload of data on my Synology that is not stored anywhere else. It's not synced to my Mac. I store it on my Synology because I have, you know, 10 terabytes of storage in the stupid thing right now. And right. it's all redundant. So that data, I don't want to lose, right? That's our movie collection. That's uh, our pictures. Mm-hmm. It's all stored there and it is not synced. It is just stored there. So, yeah, no, I get it. So the, the, you know, for me, what I do with that stuff is I do pay for uh, a crash plan subscription. I, I, I should come clean on that or I should be more correct about that. I actually mm-hmm. don't pay anymore. A couple of years ago, year and a half ago, somebody there uh, called me and said, and it, this actually had nothing to do with Matt Keycab. I was helping him solve some other problem. And they said, uh, you know what? It, as thanks, we're going to give you a four year family plan for free. So I thought, great, which is awesome. Uh, so I, I, t- I take full advantage of that. And I, I sync uh, my, my Synology up to crash plan, but I also sync it to a Drobo that I keep at Pete's house, right? Via again, via crash plan. I use crash plan to just, to just do that. And pilot Pete's house has my, my Drobo and I have to put drives in that and maintain that and all of that stuff, which is its own headache. But, um, but I know that my stuff is 10 minutes away from my house if I need to go get it and, and get it. But Pete doesn't have access to it cause he doesn't have my key. Right. So, so, so I am sort of doing that offsite, but not too far away right. kind of thing. And then, yes, I'm, if I didn't have this free crash plan account, would I be using it? Probably to be honest, uh, you know, I, I like, I, I like having that data. Like you said, in multiple places, it's just, it's worth it to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. what I will do on occasion is, so I have both the Drovo and the Synology. Mm-hmm. Um, on occasion, I will take, uh, so I do have movies and um, pictures uh, stored on both of them. Every now and then, I'll copy the entire movies folder from one to the other. Okay. I don't yeah. do it very often, but there's at least a backup of that data. Now, the reason I'm not too, too worried about that is that I have, typically I have my movies and my pictures stored elsewhere like sure pictures are done through aperture and i make an aperture vault which is aperture's way of creating a nice version of uh you know your photo library um movies i'm not so concerned about because they're movies that i've typically ripped and the thing is to me it's okay you know if if it crashes and burns you know the other thing i mean i trust both of these devices have some level of redundancy so they're not just going to die sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, right. They, that is so a, they may. a benefit. If they did, it'd be sad that I would lose my movies, but they're t- movies where, where, like I said, I would lose time because I typically have them. Uh, I don't think I have many movies that are only in digital format. I typically right. have them on a DVD or, or some, it's something that I've rented in the past and, and, you know, am doing the service of creating an offsite backup. <laughs> so to answer your question, yeah. um, a different lens on, on, on yep. the problem, but there's, there's very little data where I only have a single copy of it. I typically spread the joy, spread it around. So, so I, I, I usually, I don't think I have anything where it's only in one place. Right, right, right. Okay. So, uh, there is, uh, another piece of software that I neglected to mention cause I, I don't use it. Although now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, I might actually start using it. Uh, somebody in the chat room mentioned it. And I can't remember. I think it was Alan who was the first one. No, maybe uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, it does matter, but I'm not going to find it. Uh, ARQ from Haystack software is a backup uh, software. ARC is how it's pronounced, but it's ARQ. We'll put a link in the show notes. And what this is, is it's a piece of software, but 
it does it's it's 40 bucks for the app but the app doesn't come with any storage you provide your own storage now you could have arq backup to your synology via sftp or free nas or really any device that you have that that supports sftp which anything that you can ssh into probably is going to be able to do that so that's one option uh the other is you uh can use uh, ARQ is built to work with Amazon Web Services, either Amazon S3, which charges about three cents a gigabyte per month to store data, or Amazon Glacier, which charges one cent a month for per gigabyte. Now, the difference between S3 and Glacier is when you're backing up, basically no difference. When you're retrieving, huge difference. S3, you have access to your data immediately. Glacier, you have to... Uh, wait for them to package up your data and, and then provide it to you. So for that, you know, emergency or not emergency, but, but, you know, catastrophic failure only scenario, Glacier is perfect because you probably don't need the data right away, but it's nice to know that it's out there. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's ARQ. We'll put a, put a link uh, in the show notes to that. It's a great piece of software. I've, I've run the software before, but uh but I, I had not used it. However, you know, thinking about how it could work with, especially just locally, right. To, to my Synology or even my Drobo 5N, cause I can SSH into that. Um, maybe there's a reason to start using that um, instead and, and really kind of managing my own. And that way the data is not stored in crash plans, weird format. And I don't know, I got to look, I got to look. So anyway, I mentioned it. You want to take it while we're on this subject, John, you want to take us. Uh, so what if you have two network storage drives, right? Terry has a question along those lines. Yes, Terry does. And I didn't know the answer, but now I do. Mm. So Terry says, what's the best workflow to migrate files from the Drobo SF FS over to the Synology? I've got Ethernet Thunderbolt adapters, USB 3, an original Retina MacBook Pro, an older 13-inch MacBook Air with two USB ports. Any way to take the computers out of that mix and let the two NAS drives just handle it between themselves? I doubt that last one. Well, Terry, your doubts are unfounded. Because I was thinking that as well. I'm like, you know what? The Synology is just so chock full of features. You know, I bet there's something in there somewhere. So... Whipped out the Google Foo, and I found it, Dave. There is a way to do this, though it does, as I found with a lot of things on the Synology, it gets a little cryptic, and if you don't do quite the right thing, it may not work out. Um, but I figured it out through just stubborn persistence. <laughs> Bullheaded persistence, man. That is the key. Yes. That is the key right there. So uh, one of the things when you run DSM, which is a Synology software, when you connect to it with a web interface, is uh, they have something called File Station. So what you can do is you can go to File Station, and then there's a Tool menu. And then, this has caught my attention, there's something called Mount Remote Folder. Now, when you bring that up, here's the warning, or just the advice that they give you in that dialogue. So there's a number of places you can enter things. Um... 
And one, you have to enter the address. So, so it alerts you. It says, well, this is for SIFs only, which is, uh, I think, common inter something. Common file internet system. file system, I think, is what CIFS stands for. Right. So, um, so whatever you're connecting who has to have that capability, which as far as I can tell the Drobo does because I was able to do it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the funny part is that you got to craft the URL and I'm going to call it kind of a URL. Um, you got to craft it just right here. And the way that you got to craft it, Dave, is you have to enter into that field that asks for the uh, address of the server. Um, so it has to be backslash backslash IP address, which in my case, my uh, Drobo FS, the IP address is 172.16.1.201, then a slash, and then the name of the share that you want to connect to. And CIFS is really another way of, of saying Windows sharing. It's, it's the modern version. It's the currently in use version of SMB. Which is right. Yeah. I was going to say that I wasn't entirely sure, but no, uh, yeah, it, it is. is so the old talk. SIFS is the, is the, the, the new talk. Yeah, but it's new all speak. Well, <laughs> no, SIFS is like a, I, I, as I understand it, it's a, it, it's a subset of SMB. It's just, it, oh, it's the right. current implementation of SMB. I think, I think so. It, yeah. It, I'm not sure why Synology calls it SIFS. It's not incorrect. It's just non it's not what most people call it. So when I first saw that, you know, when I got my disk station and did exactly what Terry's talking about and beamed a whole truckload of data over from my old FS, it's like SIFS. What is that? And I had to research like, what is SIFS? Like, Oh, it's the, it's windows. Yeah. The, the Drobo FS does that. No problem. You know, and then it worked. Yep. Right. So that's why I say, you know, we, we love Synology to death, but um, yeah, sometimes I think because they're so technically brilliant, yeah. They'll use terms like this, figuring everybody else will understand it. And, you know, that gives us something to do, Dave, is that you and I, like you just did, can help translate it for for others. So, yeah. um, but like I said, it, it, you know, it's awesome. Uh, I almost knew that the functionality would be in there somewhere. I just had to uh, I just had to peel the onion and, and find it. Yeah, that's it. Now, the other thing is in that dialog box in the Mount Remote folder, it also asks you for a map to entry and what that is is the folder on your synology that will appear in the file station interface um yeah so this is as the folder that you're mapping to the drobo so like what i did is i created a folder called the drobo which when i accessed it once i mounted it and you also of course uh, provide a username and password then that drobo folder would be a virtual representation, if you will, of what's on the FS. And then at that point, you can just copy things from that Drobo folder to the Synology. This so, is so one of those. Is yes, you can ignore. So yeah. you don't need a computer involved because that, that would certainly be a bottleneck as, as Terry was suspecting, you know, I got USB, I got gigabit. What a pain in the neck because then you're going to be, ta the computer is going to be in the middle and, and it doesn't need to be the Synology. Well, it is a computer. <laughs> So it's doing the work. So, so I think that's, yeah, no, the, um, to, to, just to go back and make sure, cause you, you, mm -hmm. you touched on this, but it's a weird concept in the, in the Unix world. Although we're, we've all seen it in OS 10 in, in terms of what are called mount points, right? You mentioned you had to assign the Drobo to a folder on your Synology, which seems really weird, but it, but it's, and it is weird, but it's how Unix deals with this concept of, 
how do I act? The, the question is, okay, I have this network resource uh, that's going to provide files and I've attached to it in a way that is understandable by my file system. How do I access it? How do I tell the computer where to go to get these files? And, and the way Unix solves that is with what's called mount points. Now, anybody that's attached a drive to their Mac, at least an OS 10 Mac, uh, has seen this or, or has used this, whether you've seen it or not is, is another case, but it, you know, when you, your main hard drive is just your hard drive, right? You, you go to the, the, the applications folder and that's your drive. But on your main hard drive, if you go to the volumes folder inside, there will be a folder for every disc that you currently have attached. Now, sometimes old discs will be living in there because they, things didn't clean up, but in theory, it's only discs that you have attached. And so you'll have a folder. Let's say your, you know, external drive is named Drobo, right? Uh, you'll have a, a, a volume slash Drobo folder. Now, when you go there, it actually shows you the contents of the Drobo that you have attached. And that's what John was talking about. That, you know, that's how this works. The file system said, okay, I'm going to wire up the content of that Drobo virtually to this folder called volumes Drobo. And that's how you're able to access it in the finder and all this stuff. And that's what's happening on the Synology. The difference is when you connect a drive up to OS 10, it automatically creates these mount points for you and deletes them for you when you, when you remove them mm -hmm. in the volumes folder on your Synology, that does not happen, right? You have to create the folder first and then wire it up to it. So it's a little more manual, but it is exactly the same thing that's happening in OS 10. And it is a weird thing to wrap your head around this, concept of okay i've created an empty folder is it going to actually put the data on my hard drive in volumes drobo no it's just a pointer that's all it is right. think of it as a sim link it's not but but it it functions in that way it's just a link that's all it's weird but it's the way yeah, it's the way Unix that's works. why i suggested you create a standalone folder just for this purpose yeah i suppose you could map to an existing folder but then to me, that gets confusing, as I think you're suggesting. It does. Is I create it. Is it real? Is it virtual? I don't know. I wanted to make it perfectly clear right. by calling it Drobo that whatever's in that Drobo folder that's on my Synology is clearly the contents from the Drobo, not something that's on the uh, on the Synology. I made a folder called Mount Points, and then oh, inside cool. that made a folder for each device or, or point that I wanted to mount to. So again, for the same reason that you said, it just... Anything inside, I'm not, never going to store data. The, cont, the size of that mount points folder should always be basically zero, you know, a couple of bytes for the, the folder pointers, and that's it. So um, that, that's how I, just to, just to keep my life straight, that's all. And it's weird. Again, it's just one of those computing concepts to wrap your head around. And, and once you do, it's, you know, you use it all day long and won't even think about it. And then you'll, you'll be geeks like us. You know, but it's so cool. You can do that. It is. But that's the thing is it's right. It allows functionality like this. Yeah, it's good. I don't know if the I don't know if the at least the FS. I don't believe the FS allows this in the other direction. Can you you can you can do it. Uh, can. I don't there's no graphical interface for doing it, but I'm I'm nearly certain that you can do it from the, the command line. If you SSH into a Drobo FS or a 5N, oh, you can do it. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. All right, by the same thing, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it uh, trickier, way trickier. Yeah, but again, oh, but if, if if you're accessing the yeah, because it's running uh, embedded Linux, I guess, right? That's right. So uh, yeah, 
Oh, okay. So if the file system command is there to mount a remote uh, network volume? Right. Okay. Right. That's the trick. I, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, but obviously you can do it in this direction. No problem. No. Okay. Well, that was fun. That was a lot of information that we just dumped out in the last, whatever, 70 minutes. It's good stuff. That's what we do. (laughs) We're in our 10th year now. That's pretty amazing. Oh, we're into the 10th year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As of, uh, you know, Friday, we're in our 10th year. Crazy stuff. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. If you want to join the conversation, send us a question, send us a tip, send us cool stuff found, send us a rant, whatever you want. Send us anything you like. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. You know, and I got a rant. Dave always says it wrong. It's feedback at MacGeekab.com. 206-666-GEEK. If you want to send us a phone message or leave us a phone message, what is the proper term for that? It doesn't matter. What's geek again? Wait, you missed something. Oh, what's geek again? <laughs> well, it's four three three five, but you just broke the pro- broke protocol, man. If you listen back, I'm pretty sure I said uh, feedback twice, and then you said it once. I I, oh. I realized I said it twice uh, and didn't want to ha- say it a fourth time because that you know that totally I breaks see. protocol. It's typically, be alternate. I know. I, I, uh, okay. I know. I, I had to roll. Modification I had to, to the roll. formula. That's right. I see. Yeah, I, I should have rolled with it, but that's I, I right instead. You can find us on Twitter. He's John F. Braun. Uh, Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete, and he was in the chat room today for a little while. I think he had to leave. Uh, I'm Dave Hamilton. The show is Mac Geek Gab. Mac Observer uh, is, of course, the site. You can find all kinds of great stuff on, on Twitter. It's fun. We join the conversation all the time. So go follow us on Twitter right now. Just take a moment. Go to Twitter.com. If you don't have an account, create one. Follow Mac Geek Gab. Follow John F. Braun. Uh, you can follow me if you like and and uh, and say hi to us. Seriously, like if you if you join Twitter or, or you haven't followed us yet, go there and, and say hi. Say I just joined Twitter. I heard your episode and I uh, just wanted to say hi. We will say hi back. It's what we do. It's a great way, in fact, we'll to say hi uh, back and interact. If you're worthy, we may actually even follow you back. That's a nice way of saying it, John. There you go. Well, I uh, I will guarantee I you. Is every now and then I'll purge my. Uh, I, I I follow way too many people. That's the other thing. Mm. I follow like seven hundred people. Yeah, I think I'm. I think no, I'm over I, a I thousand. I'm now under. I think I'm at under seven hundred now. I did, I actually ran a utility that would identify accounts that haven't tweeted in like a year. Uh, Why am I following these people? Yeah, that's good. That's good because they're dead. They're right. dead. Normally right. you don't know that, so it's like I, I don't need to follow them. I'm, I got to clean things out here but i guarantee you we will follow you from the mac geek gab account no question about that sure so uh so go follow us over there i'd like to thank michael johnston i mentioned michael earlier he converts this show to aac uh he also is the host of the ios show which is uh formerly we have communicators and formerly the iphone alley podcast but it's all michael all the time well it's not all michael only michael uh he has adam and jeff it's a great show you should listen it's good stuff he also publishes Appler at getappler.com. I'd like to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, Barebone Software, as we mentioned. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, as we mentioned. Smile at smile.software.com. Gazelle, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E, to sell all your stuff. Squarespace.com with MGG for 10% off. iFixit.com because those guys are awesome. John, any lasting advice? 
now that we've been doing this, we're in our 10th year. Is there anything you can share before we move on to show 507 next week? Well, at some point after all these years, um, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, one, one piece of uh, advice that's always valid, Dave, is don't get 